We'll be in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3 this morning. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. 2024. What a year this potentially may be. A year, perhaps, of great joys, and maybe some great disappointments. Those particularly who have made politics their God. This will be a year of a presidential election, a new governor for our state. For some, the new governor, the new president will be a source of great joy. For others, it'll be a source of great sorrow. There will be no universal joy in our nation no matter who gets elected. We can be sure of this, though, that whatever is of man, if we put our hope in it, in them, we will eventually and undoubtedly be disappointed. So how in this new year can we hope to avoid great disillusionment and disappointment? Well, it will depend on our focus. What we'll be looking at and what we'll be looking to. It's a new year, but we are continuing in this new year to run the old race. The race that has been set before us. The race we read about in Hebrews 12. It's interesting. Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 3, really shouldn't be part of chapter 12. It should be the end of chapter 11 because it's the climax of chapter 11. If you look at chapter 11, verse 39, and these, these uh, great witnesses to the faith, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise, God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Therefore, we also, see there should be a, it's a natural continuation because this is going to, uh, all this that was given in chapter 11 is to propel us to what he's speaking about in the first three verses of chapter 12. So you have uh, in chapter 11, All these, all those that are mentioned in in chapter 11, the shining examples of faith, these all in, in verse 39 of chapter 11, united to then the we also of chapter 12 and verse 1. We also, we also, the ones here today, the ones in this time and age that we live in, in the blessed position because we have something better than the Old Testament saints had. 
And that is the Old Testament saints were saved by faith, faith in Christ, but that's the Christ to come. We have something better. We have the faith in that Christ that has come, given to us that faith, the actual coming of Christ. Well, this group mentioned in chapter 11 becomes a great cloud of witnesses. They, they believed in the Christ that was to come. And again, we have the greater blessing, the something better for us, the faith in the Christ that has come. And we see the word that begins chapter 12 in verse 1, therefore. Therefore, always, always remember when you see the word therefore, what is it therefore? If you just began reading it, chapter 12, see, this is a problem. Sometimes people just pick up the word of God and they, they just read at a random chapter. That's a, I mean, like I said, I'm glad to see anybody reading but at the same time, if you pick up in the middle, it's like if you got a letter from somebody. Letters are kind of a dying thing because now uh, there was email, but now I notice that some people treat text messages like email. And they just go on and on. And if you have Apple and somebody's texting to you in Android, then everything gets messed up and you have to turn and put all the pieces together. It's like a little puzzle and you finally make sense of it. But if we, if we received a letter, most of you remember what a letter looks like, I hope. If you receive a letter, the first thing you do not do is look at the last paragraph and read that first. It wouldn't make sense, would it? You want to see how it starts, you want to see the middle part, and then the, the end, you don't start in the middle of the letter. Unless it's from the IRS. It's the same way with, with these. When we look at the book of Hebrews, we, we can't really begin to fathom because we're so used to breaking it up into pieces and parts. But when it came to those who, the churches that were to read these letters, generally they were read basically the whole letter at a time. And so therefore they, they didn't start in, in chapter 2. In fact, they didn't have chapters or verse numbers to read. And so if you start in chapter 12 reading, you'll not have the benefit of knowing exactly why you're reading these words, the meaning that lays behind them. But since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, the writer of Hebrews, which I believe is the Apostle Paul, gives us a picture here of a Roman amphitheater. And you've seen pictures of the amphitheaters in, in various books and other such things, so I'm sure I don't have to explain what that is like. And in the arena are the runners. And as we look up, we see row upon row upon row Tier upon tier upon tier of seats rising up like a cloud. 
Only in the seats are not mere spectators. These are people, witnesses. And witnesses who give testimony as to their own life and experiences. These are those who have run the race and obtained a good witness. If you look at 11, chapter 2, chapter 11, verse 2, that is. Notice 11, 2. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. That is, by faith, through faith, the elders obtained what? A good testimony, a good witness. If we look at verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. Verse 5, by faith, Enoch was taken away so he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony, again, this witness that he pleased God. And then if we turn to verse 33. Who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. So the word witness isn't there, but what they witnessed, what their lives witnessed too, shows up there. And then verse 35, women received their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. So again, here's, here's the witness that they were given by the lives that they led. These are examples of the witnesses that they gave in verses 33 and Verses 35. Now, when we read Scripture, there are things that we must be able to do. First, we, we must be able to see, <clears throat> excuse me, the law-gospel distinction. <clears throat> and part of this is, in doing this, is we have to see the, what we could call the two eyes of Scripture. <clears throat> excuse me, now, when I get into this, some of you immediately start to, Oh, don't turn around. This is this is not what I came for. <clears throat> but if you'll bear with me, we're going to be covering something that will bless your scripture reading. And the two eyes that I'm talking about are things that we call the indicative, and then the imperative. And the indicatives in scripture are the facts, what has been done. The imperative then are the commands based upon those facts. And again, before you tune out, let's see it illustrated. Because if you grasp this, your Bible reading will take on greater depth and understanding. In verse 1, we could say we have three imperatives. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, notice, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus. <clears throat> so we have three imperatives, to lay aside, to let us run, to look unto Jesus. We are to 
lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily besets or ensnares us. <clears throat> In the Roman games, the runners would be basically naked. And so we're to lay aside every weight, every encumbrance. A.T. Robertson wrote things such as doubt, pride, and sloth. Sloth's a word that we don't use much anymore. It's sloth. He was being very sloth yesterday. Slothful. It means laziness. Nothing that may trip us up. And we can see in this phrase, in this idea, the idea of where, where in other places scripture it says, gird up your loins. That is, pull, a, pull that up so there's nothing material-wise or otherwise to trip you up when you run. <clears throat> and then there's the sin that so easily besets us. <clears throat> it's <clears throat> something like in the old westerns when they came to a campsite and they camped for the night. And about two hours later after the campfire is going and everybody's had their can of beans and their they're laying around on their saddles and ready to spend the night. All of a sudden, you hear, oh. And all of a sudden, it's, there's a whole chorus of ravenous wolves that have encircled the campfire, quite ready to pounce in a moment. It is as God told Cain, sin crouches at the door, besetting sins. Sins are those things which we've not yet adequately learned to hate. Those sins that we've not yet quite adequately learned to hate. Someone once said, a besetting sin is something that if you could talk to God about something not being a sin, that would be the thing you'd recommend. <laughs> we are to lay these things aside. And in the present tense, it's telling us to do this continually. Not just every now and then, but continually lay these things aside. And then we are to run with endurance. I wonder how that works out for those. The only way to read a Bible is literally. Every Christian should have a track suit and the best Adidas shoes they could possibly have. We are to run with endurance the race that is set before us. He says, let us run. Let us, again, present let us keep on running with endurance, with patience. Run without doubting or despairing. The race set before us. Notice the word. The race set before us. Not the race we choose to run. But the race that is set before us, the wording here tells us of a word that means something appointed or destined. It takes three words in English to translate the one Greek word, and we translate it set before us. The race that God has set, the course, the one appointed for us. And this course is not going to be flat and easy. It's going to be full of twists and turns, hills and valleys. 
But the key to running this race is not looking and focusing on the terrain, but on the goal. Looking unto Jesus. We can first, as we begin, take a look at stands at the cloud of witnesses. But then we must fix our eyes upon Jesus. So those are the three imperatives. Now we follow the indicatives. Why we should do what we are called to do on the basis then of what has been done for us. And so in verse 2, looking unto Jesus, there's the imperative, the third imperative, the author and finisher of our faith. Well, here's the first indicative, the, the fact. He is the author and finisher of our faith. Another fact, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and then another fact, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So there you have this, this working together. What has been done before us and for us that enables us to do what we are commanded to do. Some of you might have seen the Red Bull commercial, the Red Bull energy drink. And it says in the commercial that Red Bull gives you wings. Well, if that's the case, then Jesus gives you legs. He is the author. The author, that is, without him, saving faith would not exist. He is what John Gill wrote and called the efficient cause of it. It's not in the power of man in himself to believe. We spent Sunday evening a few weeks ago speaking of, of God's omnipotence. Well, salvation, the gift of faith to us, raising those dead in sins and trespasses to new life is example of the amazing greatness of the power of God. It's the work of Christ applied by the Spirit but he's also the finisher of it. Scripture tells us that he who began a good work in us will see it through to its completion. And so therefore, he not only gives, he maintains and even strengthens this faith. Remember when Jesus said to Peter, Simon, Satan has sought to Sift you as wheat. But then what did Jesus say? But I have prayed that your faith will not fail. And Peter stumbled, but Peter didn't fall away. And this prayer that Jesus gave and said that he had for Peter will certainly be a prayer that he makes for all his 
And as the finisher, he brings it to the necessary consummation, if you will, eternal life. For he's not only the author, he is the finisher or perfecter of faith. <clears throat> and he came for what? For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Christ came into the world instead of in what we could say the form of God. He appeared in the form of a servant. Instead of the glory he had with his father from all eternity, he suffered shame and disgrace. Instead of inhabiting a place of royalty, he endured the shame and the pain of the cross. And he did all this for those who would be his. For the joy of, of knowing the numerous offspring that would have been with him and will be with him in heaven. And so for this joy, he endured the cross. But then there's a third part. And sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He lives, he rules, and he reigns. The evils he endured ended in salvation and glory. If you look at James chapter 5 and verse 11, there's a verse that many are familiar with. <clears throat> Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job. And what? And seen the end intended by the Lord. And that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. How did things end for Job? Oh, he went through trials. He went through a very hard run. But how did it end? God gave him seven times more than what he had before. The blessing at the end was far greater than all the blessings he had at the beginning. In Romans chapter 8, verse 17. <clears throat> I'll begin reading verse 16. <clears throat> Excuse me. The, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. There's the picture. The race is going to be difficult, but you're going to be empowered to run it. But then on top of that, the end of the race is glory. And so we see these three indicatives. Four, if you include verse one. They fuel us to run the imperatives. You see, imperatives without the corresponding indicatives makes for a very big imbalance. Run that race, Paul, Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7. 
He said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown, a great reward. But how did he run that race? Well, he's the one that's telling us, looking unto Jesus. To run this race with endurance. To keep Christ as our focus. No matter what happens this year. The facts won't change. Jesus set the course. And he finished all that was needed to be done. And others before us have run that race. And by that grace of God they have finished the course. And witnessed to his glory and truth. And because we run the race with full assurance of crossing the finish line. There is not one under God who is his that begins the race that will not make the finish line. Every single one that he has put out there to begin the race is going to finish. No one will be left halfway through. He will bring us all right to the finish line. There's no question about that. Scripture makes it clear. Of all that the Father has given to me, he says, I have not lost one. So out there on that course will not be a bunch of strays. Everyone who is in Christ will make it across that line for the great and final blessings. And we will then join that cloud of witnesses, witnessing to his glory and truth. And so again, we run that race with full assurance of crossing the finish line. Regardless of the twists and turns and obstacles. Because why? Because in Christ, we are more than conquerors. But only in Christ and looking unto him. You remember what happened to Peter? He stepped out on the water. He said, Lord, if it's you out there on the water, bid me come. And Scripture tells us he stepped out on the water. He was there on top, standing on the water as he was looking to Jesus. But what happened? He looked down. He looked around. And down he went. Why? Because he took his eyes off of Christ. And that's what will happen with every one of us. The moment we take our eyes off him, we start to stumble. But in regaining our vision and looking unto him, we run the race. We finish the course. And we enter into glory. Let's stand together for prayer.